chilling greetings everybody thank you so much for stopping by and making paranormal prowlers podcast part of your day those tunes you just heard is as always courtesy of the lovely bobby Mackey, and i of course am your host tessa morrow today i have my friend return guest steve kawamura joining me he recently wrote a book titled come ride with me it's a culmination of 20 years of paramedic road experience Kawamura, he offers diverse paramedic experiences over a vast array of calls, making the reader feeling like they are in the ambulance with him. Now that's pretty cool. Just going to say that right now. That's badass. (laughs) He wanted to share his experience with people to show the great work that paramedics do. I adore and respect our first responders, paramedics, EMTs, law enforcement, firefighters, and so on. They just, they make a difference. They go out there and they're saving lives every damn day. And man, that has to feel good doing that. Steve Kawamura, welcome back, my friend. Man, just time flies. I know you've been, uh, you've done some voiceover for me in the past, but do you know it's been since June of 2019 since your full episode was released on Paranormal Prowlers podcast? Oh, wow. Four years? I know, right? I was like looking back, I searched your name and I was really shocked when it popped up that that long ago. I was like, holy crikey, that's been a long time, man. So we've, uh, you know, we go, we go way back. <laughs> so I, uh, thanks for coming back on, man. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's wonderful to be here and uh, talk about my book, and thanks for doing it. Oh, yeah. So, everybody, we're going to be talking about Steve's book, and we're also going to be talking about just the life in a paramedic's shoes, and so that is pretty exciting. First of all, you know, a huge, huge congratulations on the release of your book, Come Ride With Me. I mean, you know, I've written two books myself, and it's like hard work, you know, all the writing you put into it and the time and the patience and then the publishing part. I mean, it's just like once it's like published and released, it's just kind of like you could take a full deep breath. You know, it's like, ah, that feels good, doesn't it? Yes, it was a, it was a big sigh of relief. I mean, the project started in uh, 2011 and it was about three years after I had uh, a pretty traumatic incident, which a lot of a lot of first responders have, and it, it kind of they, they said writing was a, a therapy kind of thing. So I started writing, mm. and I I'd always kept like a diary of of all my calls that I learned on, what I didn't learn on, and statistics and stuff. And it started so early with a pen and paper, but uh, then I decided to start writing in 2011. I didn't have enough material to write about. And then in 2014, I went into the inner core to work because I wanted to work with one of my best partners who's mentioned in the book. His name is James Watson. We had a great three years together at uh, a very, very, very busy base with very, very high acuity calls. And then I had enough material 
then I had my first child, <laughs> and then my uncle passed away, and I assumed care of my aunt who had uh, uh, Parkinson's dementia, oh. and that took up a lot of my time. I had to get her to a nursing home. I, I, I didn't want to be that person who didn't take care of or didn't see and didn't show up at the nursing home. So, you know, I would take my, my daughters there. And actually, side note, one of the very first cognitive things my daughter did when she was two years old was she took my hand and she showed me the way to, her name's Cheryl. She's actually mentioned in the book too, but Cheryl's room. Mm. She took me to Cheryl's room. That's when I knew, like, she, she knew she was thinking right? was like, oh, wow, she's actually leading the way there. Wow. So it was a good experience for her. And then, you know, and then I had my second child. And then I took part time at work, basically, just a little bit less hours, right? I took a position where I didn't have to take as many shifts, right? But I did. So that was called job share. It was basically part time, but I worked almost full time hours, I would say three quarters. And then both my kids went to school in September of 2022. And I was like, you know, I got this, I got this book, maybe, maybe I should finish it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So from September to about, I would say April is when I finished the writing. And then from April until September was publishing. And you said yourself, you published books. It takes a while and it is a lot of work, but I don't know about you, but I enjoyed the step, every step of it, the cover design, the editing process. I had a professional editor that I consulted with. And, you know, just having an outside source, a, a professional outside source, because I had many people read my book and say, you could do this, do that. But this guy went through it with a fine-tooth comb, and it was like, you need to change this, suggest this. And that, that, that part was very, very enlightening for me. Yeah, I had fun doing all of that, too. I had, uh, for both of my books, two wonderful editors. One of them was in Ireland, is in Ireland. And then the other was actually my sister for the other book. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun for sure. I'm actually working on books three and four right now. You know, it's just uh, such a therapeutic thing for me, like you said. And so you did mention earlier that you said something happened. I had a pretty traumatic experience at work and that call was the catalyst for this book. What's it? I just have to be careful because like protect confidential sources because in my book, his name's Tim. Okay. And we went to a call where one of my coworkers decided to end his own life. And I knew him very well. I have worked with him on more than a few occasions without spoiling too much because it is in the book. Gotcha. That was the catalyst for this. It was was a very traumatic experience. I experienced a a little bit of post-traumatic stress, but not, not, like, I I don't want to be too technical, but it didn't stop me from doing anything. And that's... That's when I think when people have a real big problem with uh, post-traumatic stress, yeah. you know, there's, there's certain intrusive thought and stuff, but when, when I consider it a problem, same with any type of, say, alcohol addiction, anything like that, is when it, it prevents you or hinders you from doing something, right? So I never had that part, which I, I don't know really what it's attributed to. I'm pretty sure it's it's because of, like, I've had a very good upbringing. I had great parents, and I have very good social outlet and hobbies and activities that have kept me busy, right? Right. Um, as I explained in my book, my character, Tim, did not. He did not have a good social mm. support. He did not have a good upbringing. And yeah. uh, um, these coping mechanisms failed for him. So um, right. that's what, that was the catalyst for writing the book. And uh, so I, I wrote a bunch of it, and 
I didn't uh, have enough material in 2014, like I said. Yeah. But then I had enough material, and as, as you know, life kind of takes over sometimes. Right, absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm sorry that you lost your friend in such a horrible way. It's, yeah, that's very heartbreaking. And this book is dedicated to Tim, right? Yes. I wouldn't say dedicated to him because I did dedicate it to somebody else. Gotcha. I would say he was the catalyst. And I I would like to, I guess I could thank him for the opportunity, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Thank him. It's kind of weird how to explain it, right? Like, because I, I wouldn't want to wish that on anybody like he was in a deep dark place anybody right and i talk about it in my book right they're, they're actually trying to change the, the lingo they don't want to say suicide anymore up here in canada oh they're changing it to succumbing to mental illness right and we had an education like we, we get a lot of education up here as paramedics one of the things that this guy came in who was a, a mental health specialist he's like well listen if, if, if you view somebody who's got stage four pancreatic cancer right and you're going to say those doctors did everything they could for him. Let's take a real prominent figure, Steve Jobs, for example, right? Right. But if you take somebody who's 25 years old and they commit suicide or succumb to their mental illness, the first thing that people come back and say is, well, what could we have done to help, right? And, you know, a lot of us who have been in the job a long time, right, he said, maybe everything was done to help that person. And a lot of the people who had been, you know, say veterans such as myself, you know, we thought to ourselves, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe everything has, you know, and maybe the, the illness was too much for them to bear and they so-called succumbed to their mental illness. Right? Yeah. And it, it's just a different way of looking at suicide. Right. So that really changed my perspective on, on mental illness as a whole, because it's something that we're really not taught well as paramedics. We learn it on the road. We could read books, but there's really, well, there might be now, but back when I went to school in 99, there wasn't any formal training on it. It was like a chapter that was maybe five pages long. It mentioned some disorders and active listening, stuff like that, but no real, real treatment. Right. Wow. Okay. So I don't know about you, Steve, but when it comes to my books, I have favorite parts, you know, and so like favorite sections, there are favorite section of yours that's in your book? Um, I have a couple. My, my, my book's divided into different chapters, and they're all just calls that I've done and seen. Two of my favorite sections are remarkable people, and that's not my job description. You know, typically somebody thinks, like, a, a so, so quote-unquote layperson, you know, w- would think that, oh, you just, you know, somebody has a medical emergency, and you, you go pick them up. You might do some CPR, get some drugs, and you drive them to the hospital, you know? But that's, that's far from the truth. I mean, any, you do the job long enough, you run into the strange things that happen. Like, I rescued a dog once. You know, I chased a dog through a neighborhood because his owner basically shouldn't have bought a boisterous no. two-year-old um, Doberman. Oh, right? geez. You know, like, like, like you, you could tell that this man in his age, sorry, in his, back in his day, was probably like a bricklayer, right? You know, he was 6'2", he was pretty robust, but he's 80 years old. Oh, no. You know, like this boisterous, this boisterous Doberman just running all over the place. So I went and helped him. And, you know, I've gotten into a couple fights. Oh, wow. Like full-on fist fight where oh. I've been trying to fend for my life. Jeez. So 
you know i mean there was this one guy who was trying to jump out in traffic and mm. he was extremely intoxicated with alcohol you could smell it and he was a roofer so he was really strong but my martial arts background i i kind of sized him up but i i had to hold him on the ground for three minutes and it, it was extremely exhausting without hitting him of course i, wow. I didn't want to hit him right I, and I, in my back of my mind right i was like okay if i have to hit this guy i'm gonna jump off and run so i was able to hold him down wow so, and three minutes yeah. a lot of people were like ah three minutes is nothing but when you're in that situation that's a long time big man down and he's wanting to fight yeah i bet that felt like an eternity it's a very very i would say the most famous martial artist of all time said three minutes was too long and that was bruce lee yeah, I agree. I agree. So, wow. Well, I hope you haven't had to get in any fights lately. No, no, no. And there's like in remarkable people, right? I met an intelligence, a former British intelligence officer who took the surrender of a German intelligence officer during World War II. This is early 2000. He'd be long dead now. Right? Wow. And he had a citation signed by George S. Patton. Wow, that's phenomenal. You actually got to meet him. Wow. Did you? Was this in Canada, or where did you meet him at? Yeah, this was in Canada. And he, he, I think he had moved around a lot, Yeah. right? But he, he was the, the rank of command sergeant major, and, you know, the war was over. And, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, like, what was that like? What was that moment like? You know, because World War II was the biggest conflict, and hopefully will be the biggest conflict that this world ever faces. And... You know, he, he just he just said they, they both had a look in their eye that the war was finally over. And to be to, be, to hear this story from somebody that was there, right. you know, I, I, knew, I knew that this moment was special because today I don't think there are any more World War II veterans left. Right, I don't think so. Yeah, it's definitely sad. My grandpa fought in World War II. Man, they they are a very special type of people, for sure. It's sad as time goes by, we lose all these heroes, you know? I honestly, through looking through my lens of my early 2000s and meeting someone, right? Yeah. I couldn't put them all in my book. I met a guy who was in prison at DF for, for four years, you know? And I don't know about your grandfather, right? My wife's grandfather fought in World War II. These people are the happiest and most satisfied it doesn't matter what they did, if they were a firefighter, like my, my wife's grandfather was, or if they worked at a steel mill, they are satisfied. They are happy people. Yeah, most definitely. I lost my grandpa probably around 10, oh, maybe like closer to like 12 years now. But yeah, very happy people, happy to be alive and um, being able to see old age when so many that they fought with didn't. He actually wrote a lot during his time in World War Two, and should actually maybe um, do an episode about World War Two and, and maybe read some of his stuff because yeah it's like it feels like you're like right there with him just what they went through you know and live to tell about it is is amazing for sure on a side note like did he speak of this to you like did he not speak of it for a long time because I know Leah's grandfather didn't speak about it for 30 years yeah, until he was in his late 50s is only when he kind of opened up. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, well, I was I was born in 82, so a few decades had gone past since then. And, you know, he probably, I would say when I was, like, in my late teens, he 
you know, would talk a little bit about it. But, and you know, as a kid, I wish, you know, now as an adult, I wish I would have asked more questions, you know, and um, if he didn't want to talk about it, fine. But man, if he did, I would have loved to hear stories. But, you know, when you're a kid, you know, I wasn't, I don't know, I don't want to say I wasn't interested, but I just, I uh, guess I wasn't thinking like I maybe should no, have. No, you just didn't know. It was it was ignorance in its pure form. Right. right. Like, you just didn't know, right? Right, yeah, And maybe sure. you, were, you were nervous to ask, right? I remember I was sitting in the cockpit of an F-18, okay? Wow. Um, we used to have a cool air show here at Hamilton Airport. I think the Canadian government just got them. This was, like, early 90s. You know, I was like, hey, have you shot down any planes? You know, I was like a boy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, my dad was like, stay back. What are you doing? Like, well, I just got to know, you know, because they all, in Top Gun, they shoot down planes. So, right, right. Know, inappropriate questions of a, I think I was eight at the time oh. like that, when, when I was sat in that plane. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, Steve, can you, talking, going back to your come ride with me, can you read a small insert for us from your book? Sure, yes. You know, I'd like to read something that's kind of off the beaten path that you wouldn't expect from a paramedic book, and that's uh, my intro to Chapter 11, Till Death Do Us Part. Nice, okay. Love everlasting. Don't we all yearn for it? Finding that special someone to grow old with is one thing in our society deems the mark of true happiness. But in today's world of instant gratification and quick divorces, it seems that long-term relationships are doomed from the get-go. When I was first starting out in my early 20s, I overlooked the long-lasting bond between elderly couples. I could not have appreciated the luck it requires to find a compatible partner and to stick it out through the hard times. As I matured, I began to appreciate the couples that had stayed together and were still in love. Decades pass, and the love that these couples share stands the test of time. Their looks have faded and their bodies are frail, but love makes them young at heart. A happiness resides in their smiles that only a lifetime of love to shape. Oh, I love that. Wow. That's so true. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I just, I cannot wait to get your book. I know we're going to, you're getting mine, I'm getting yours. That's, yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading your book. One, one unique feature I have in my book that I haven't been able to find, is, and I wanted to come up with kind of an original idea, is I have a, a chapter song selection to uh, theme the chapter. And, you know, it, it took a while for me to do this. For this this chapter, I have What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. Because when I think of elderly couples, I think of that kind of timeline. And that will change as, as years go by. But I think that was a pretty timeless song to choose for this uh, chapter. Yeah, wow, that's really, that's clever. I, I don't think I've ever seen someone do that before, where they, like, you know, you know, put, you should put the song on while you read this chapter. That's that's smart. I like that idea. <laughs> oh, see, actually, that was an editing thing. And he said, maybe you should put that at the beginning so they could listen to it, right? And I'm like, yeah. you know, I was like, no, it just fits better at the end of the chapter as kind of a retrospective. And unfortunately, for my paranormal chapter, right, which I've, I've, you've heard of two of my paranormal experiences. I had another one, not recently, but I had talked about. I couldn't think of any other song other than Ghostbusters for that because <laughs> I didn't want it to be too scary because they were kind of terrifying. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that, that's the only song I, I, I could think of that would fit perfectly for that chapter. That's cute. That's really cute. You were in Paranormal 911, right? Correct. 
Okay. Because I know there's like Paranormal Emergency too, and I love both of those shows, but I get them mixed up sometimes. So yeah, I mean, for everyone who has seen Paranormal 911, Steve is in one of those episodes and he's, you know, shares these two phenomenal encounters and he shared that back in 2019 in a little while. I really want to hear more about that in a short while. While we're still on your book, real quick, how can people find your book? Like if they're in Canada and if, like say like they want to get like a signed copy or do you just go straight through Amazon for now? For now, it's a street through Amazon. I am looking, actively looking to have kind of a signing a day, a book signing. But unfortunately, none of the uh, local bookstores are doing any right now. For, so for the people that are local, I think I'm going to have to use my uh, ambulance service to do it to f- for a venue. But that's okay. In the near future, for the bookstores, I might be able to get out there in the next, next year. But uh, every single one of them has said not until the new year. So okay. I think it's uh, kind of like a timeline thing. Right. They kind of book for the whole year. In addition, they say that they might have problems paying the author, right? And for me, I never wrote this to, to make any money. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I could negotiate a good deal with one of the bookstores because, like I said, I'm not really concerned about that. It's concerned about getting the word out because to get the word out when you're an independent author, as you know, is, is kind of difficult, right? The big publishers, they have kind of a monopoly on, on the advertisement and stuff like that. So Right. Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit about you, Steve, being a paramedic. How old were you when you realized that you wanted to help people and be a paramedic? Well, it it started off with the movie Backdraft. I forget when that movie came out. I think it was around 1990. And I wanted to be a firefighter. (laughs) So I got a co-op with the Ancaster Fire, uh, which is a local fire department around here. And I got a co-op with them in 1997, mm. very early 1998. And it, it's kind of hard to remember because it's so long ago. And that's when I found out I couldn't be a firefighter because I was colorblind. So they uh. ran an ambulance as well. And for some reason, or so you could be colorblind if you were a paramedic, but you couldn't be if you were a firefighter. Interesting. So, yeah, so I decided right then and there, I would say I was 18. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll be, I'll be a paramedic. And I went right from high school to paramedic school, and the rest is history. Um, I started school for it in 1999, and I'm 43 years old now. So that's how long I've been in the business. Wow. That's awesome. That's, that's terrific. So it's been over 20 years now, and that's amazing. Good for you. I, like I said, I've said it so many times throughout the years. I just simply adore our first responders Wherever you are, whatever country you're in, you're making a difference. You're helping your community. You're making it a better and safer place. Paramedics are here, okay? You know that, like, it's like you're their saviors. You're their heroes. You're you're helping them. I love you guys and gals. So good job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So take me and those listening to this episode on a ride with you. Walk us through a day, if you will, of being a paramedic. Well, it starts off at home, right? I, I usually put my uniform on. I like to get I like to be ready as soon as I walk in the door because you never know what a call happens. Yeah. Right? My station is uh, at Station 7, and I, I usually show up in uniform, and if the crew's there, right, sometimes they're out on a call, right, you know, I'll talk to them and say, what does the truck need? What happens? You know, what happened to the day? Was there anything interesting? And sometimes they'll tell me an interesting call that happened during the day or a funny call that happened. And... 
if I'm on nights, you know, we'll check the truck, we'll sit down, we'll relax, and uh, uh, maybe watch a movie. Maybe I'll uh, get some exercise, shoot some basketball. But I, I work at a pretty busy base, so usually it's interrupted by the tones of the call. And then when the tones go off, I go to my ambulance, and whether I'm attending or I'm driving, usually I like to attend first to do the first call. Hmm. You know, I answer the radio with my truck number, which is 2004. I say 2004 while on the air. And then I flip up the computer. They give the call details through the radio, and I can see it on the computer. And then we drive to the call. Usually when, uh, when we're driving to the call, we, we kind of discuss if it's anything special. Like if it's a, a pediatric a child call, we'll estimate weight. We'll kind of think about what kind of medications we're going to use, depending on usually usually with the kid, you know, like there's a, a weight-based formula that we use, age mm. times 2 plus 10 in kilograms. Sorry, United States, we, uh, we use metric up here. <laughs> and then if it's medical or trauma or anything, we, we kind of discuss a little bit of what we're going to do, but... My partner and I are pretty seasoned, so usually there's not too much talking except making fun of each other because uh, I'm actually friends with my partner, so we'll poke fun at each other on the way to the call. <laughs> and then, then we gain entry. We, we do the call. We provide medical interventions or, you know, sometimes it's just emotional uh, support. You know, sometimes uh, we have mental, mentally ill people and we have to treat that and usually active listening and trying to help them out that way. And if it's a, a motor vehicle collision or a traumatic call, like a gunshot wound or stabbing, which are rare, right? They're, they're rare calls. But the motor vehicle collision or fall, so any type of trauma, you know, will elect to treat a little bit quicker, may provide some pain relief and off to the hospital. Then we offload our patient to the hospital, which can take, you know, sometimes, sometimes if they're not that, the hospitals are busy, they have to wait. Then we clean up and uh, then it's coffee time usually. <laughs> Wow. If it's really late at night, the only place to get good coffee is the Hamilton General Hospital. Oh. Because most of the drive throughs we're not supposed to go through, and they have really good coffee at the Hamilton General. And it's actually located pretty much in the center of the city, so that's where we go. So that's a bummer that you guys aren't allowed to go through the drive through Is it because if you get a call, then you have to leave right away, or... What's the deal with that? Why yeah, can't you yeah, get your like, coffee? Usually I'll go through the drive-thru in the early morning, right? Gotcha. I will look at the drive-thru, although we're not supposed to go, and I will see if there are too many cars there, right? And if that drive-thru has an exit. Some, yeah. some of them you could just pull off, right? Which is great. Right. Right? But I'm not even that desperate for a coffee. You know, it's just kind of something we do, especially if we're at the Hamilton General. If we go to that hospital, the coffee shop's open 24 hours a day. We'll just go get a coffee. Yeah. Kind of routine kind of thing. Oh, that's nice. You have that there and they're open 24-7. So yeah, that's convenient at least. So Steve, do you remember, now I know we're, we're going back over two decades, but do you remember your first ever call? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. It wasn't my first call, but it was my first day. I hope that's good enough. Okay. June of 2001. Wow. And we had to do three transfers. Back then we did transfers, so the ambulance service did them here. Now they're provided by a private company. But if you had to go home and you couldn't walk, like there's lots of, uh, excuse me, lack of a better word, bedridden people that we would take into their homes, right? Because, you know, we, they have to be lifted in. Yeah. They're always on the second floor. 
Or they're in the basement, right? They're never <laughs> on the first floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you had to work three shifts in that, and that was the region of Niagara, so right by Niagara Falls. Oh. Right? So Buffalo, New York. Okay. Right? For, mm-hmm. for a reference, right? Yeah. So I worked in that region for a year, and it was my fifth. And this, this call is actually in there, which, uh, of course, circumstances have been changed. Right. right. So I do say every call happened in Hamilton, but this is one of those things I changed for dramatic purposes. Gotcha. We were doing uh, my so we did three transfer shifts and then you did an emerge shift, your first emerge shift. And I was working with a guy. I won't mention his name because I, I don't have his permission, but let's call him Frank Michaels. Okay. okay? And uh, he was a senior medic. He'd been on for seven years. And we were, it was routine. I can tell you exactly what I was doing. I was washing dishes and it was the afternoon. We got called for a pedestrian struck. Oh. And when I, we were right around the corner. It took us less than four minutes to get there. And when I came out, I saw a man who was driving a truck who was absolutely hysterically crying. Oh. And there was already a tarp covering the body. And unfortunately, it was a 15-year-old boy. Oh, no. And he'd been run over. He'd been oh. run over by the truck. And without going into too much detail, there was no need to resuscitate him. He was what we would call up here as obviously dead. Yeah. And I didn't know what to think. And ironically, we're staring at this body, and there's, for lack of a better word, fluid leaking out from underneath the tarp. That's how bad it was. Mm-hmm. And his best friend would, saw the whole thing happen, and he was hysterical as well. Oh, bless his heart. And this bystander, and this is where I talk about our dark humor. I had it when I was very young. So this, this woman's like, I don't understand how you guys do this every day. She's like, how do you do this every day? And I looked at her and I said, well, ma'am, this is my first day, so uh, I'm not really sure yet. When, <laughs> I, when I figure it out, I'll let you know. <laughs> right? And I had a, a confident, uh, sarcastic smile on my face. But let me tell you, I'm really good at faking things. And I was kind of pooping my pants in real life. <laughs> so that was my first day. I Here, maybe I can, you know, I can tell you that it was relief that I knew that I could carry on after something like that. Right. But I was sad at the unfortunate circumstance that had to happen for me to realize that. Yeah. Wow, that's quite the call for sure. Well, you know, at least the guy stayed. You know, these days there's so many damn hit and runs. And it's like accidents happen. It's not like you, well, we would hope you didn't just like see this 15-year-old boy in the street and target him and hit him intentionally and then leave wow that's that would be a really rough call for sure so if i could i i have my book here and uh, i'll read an excerpt from my book which is uh and it has a a chapter selection if that's okay yeah absolutely it's very short sure it says later that year we were past the spot where that teenage boy lost his life mm. a wreath had been placed there in his memory i returned to that spot 10 years later to place a single rose on that memorial in remembrance of that day yeah. At that moment, I thought all that had happened in my journey as a paramedic and all I would have to face until retirement. I recalled the positive of knowing I could handle a traumatic call on the first day of my job and the circumstances that happened for me to see that. I carry that with me to this day. Oh. Chapter song selection, Accidents by Alexis on Fire. Oh, wow. Uh, I encourage, I encourage the, the viewers and listeners to uh, look that video up. It's probably one of the best representations. Alexis on fire, one word, accident. It's probably the single best 
representation of what a paramedic does. I will check that out. It was, yeah. It was shot in Toronto, Ontario. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. When you were reading that, I got chills. Yeah, that's... Oh, well, that's sweet that you, like, you know, still, you know, after so many years went and paid your respects. And um, obviously it's something that will stay with you, you know. You'll never forget that. And so, yeah, what could have been with that sweet 15-year-old boy? Yeah, he would have been 37 now. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's quite the first day as a paramedic, that's for sure. So, Steve, is there a certain type of call that you get and you, it just makes you cringe? Like, what's your least favorite type of call? Oh, would you say traumatic-wise or disgusting-wise? Uh, both. I'm in, I, I want to hear both, actually. Okay, well, I would say children calls, really serious children calls, all right, are, are, are the scariest. Yeah. And childbirth, right? Anything to do with young children and childbirth are very, very, I would say, very, very stressful. They they rev high on the stress meter. Yeah. So those are the calls because they have the most to lose. Right. And, you know, like an elderly woman who is 90 years old who has passed away is sad. And I, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but her hope is gone. Yeah. Her hope and her innocence a brand new child or a child at young age or single digits they have a lot of hope and innocence and lots to look forward to right it's just like i said i'm just sometimes black and white and a 95 year old doesn't have much to look forward to you know she she has a lot to look and reflect on yeah which is also wonderful too right but like i said those are the calls that that really really rev stress on the uh, sorry high on the stress meter, right? The ones that are disgusting, honestly, are are hoarding calls and, and like we'll go into a house and like there will be animals living in there. Yeah, there is a story in my book of a guy who flattened out a rat. He had been lying on the rat so long that the rat was completely flat and dead. Oh God! And this person was alive. They were alive and they made it out of the hospital. Wow! Jeez. You're totally just like, you know, laying on a rat. It's like a pancake. That's that's gross. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, being a paramedic for so many years, I know you've encountered interesting things. Two of them were indeed paranormal, and you did share those with us back in 2019. What's the most interesting and bizarre thing that you've dealt with while on duty that does not involve the paranormal? I would say I would say chasing that dog. Yeah. Like, this, this dog, the guy kept telling me to close the door, and I didn't. And the dog ran out, and I literally started chasing the dog through the neighborhood. And when it was all said and done, I, it was such a cute, playful dog that I, I got him on all fours, and I was, like, creeping towards it, and I ended up tackling it and ending up in a, in a sewage runoff. Oh, no. There's a picture of me. There's a picture of me in my book. And I smelled like sewage. It was awful. Oh, no. <laughs> right? And, and that, that's in the chapter called That's Not My Job Description. That, I'm like, <laughs> I never thought that I would be on all fours playing with a dog, sneaking up on him, and tackling the dog. Yeah, I would say that's not in your job description. There was no way that this 85-year-old man, right, was going to, to get this dog back. Yeah. So how long did it take to get that sewage stank off you? Oh, I had to shower. We always carry an extra set of, I would say I, I was out of service for an hour. 
<laughs> I was driving, so I, I literally had to put, like, a patient sheet and blanket over the driver's seat so I wouldn't stain it. Yeah. Well, Steve, so Halloween is quickly approaching. It's tomorrow. What is the most spookiest local nearby haunt that's close to you? Hmm. Mount Albion Falls. Ooh, can you talk a little bit about that? What's going on over there at those falls? Mount Albion Falls, okay, there's a legendary story. It was featured on a story called Creepy, uh, a TV show called Creepy Canada. Mm. And there was a, a story about a man who fell in love, and he fell in love with, say, woman A, and he took her to Mount Albion Falls, which was their favorite spot. And apparently, this is the way the story goes, okay, because we can all read in between the lines here. He went to talk to woman B on how to marry her at Mount Albion Falls. But woman A spotted this Uh-oh. at Mount Albion Falls and threw herself off the ledge. <gasps> and to this day, her ghost still can be seen there, apparently. I have not seen her there. I've gone to try and go look, but no. That's uh, uh, one of the legendary stories here. Wow. It's a beautiful fall. It's a beautiful, you can actually probably, Mount Albion Falls and Hamilton, it's actually a beautiful waterfall. I'll look that up. Wow, yeah, that's that's sad if it's true. It's like he's like, oh, talk about total miscommunication or misunderstanding, you know? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I always love to hear, uh, you know, people's local haunted spots, you know, and it's fun when there's a legend behind them. Yep, and unfortunately, that uh, falls became very, very notorious about four years ago where eight, I think there was eight rope rescues and more than a few deaths there because it was so treacherous and people weren't paying attention. And many adventurers, right, they were like, oh, yo, no, I want to I go walk that path, right? Yeah. So. Oh. And you, and you being know, you know that when there's, once there's negative energy or maybe possibly a portal somewhere, it is surrounded by negative energy. It's hard, and it's hard to get rid of. Yeah, well, you know, like, when so many horrible things happen in a certain place, you know, or some huge thing, like, you know, the World Trade Center or just something like that in general, you know, those falls where several people have died. Very sad. I actually experienced that when I went to, for the very time, the very only time at Niagara Falls on the United States side, and I just felt such sadness because so many people had died there, you know? You could definitely, definitely feel that for sure. My friend, time sure goes by when you're having fun. I'm just, I know, right? Yeah, I really appreciate you stopping by again. Again, thank you for all that you do for your community. I'm sure they just appreciate the heck out of you. Sure, and uh, thank you very much for having me. And just a little insert here for you folks. I did not forget his spooky tale. He did share it with me, but you're going to have to tune in tomorrow at the Halloween episode and check out what Steve had to say. Such an awesome dude. We exchange Christmas cards each year. And I know when I see that card coming from Canada, that is my buddy Steve. Big shout out to Steve Kawamura for taking time out of his day to be on the podcast. This week's special city shout outs go to Olive Branch, Mississippi, Schwamberg, Illinois, Martinez, California, Hayward's Heath, England, 
Aliceville, Alabama, and Langley, Canada. Thank you, everybody. Please be sure to check out the 2019 episode with Steve Kawamura if you have not heard it. He talks about two freaky encounters that he had, also as seen on Paranormal 911. And hey, be sure to stop by tomorrow as, hey guys, Halloween episode is going to be released. Thanks everybody and I will see you tomorrow.